No segment of the agricultural industry has benefited more from the rising global demand for protein than the poultry industry. As demand for poultry continues to grow around the world, new technology is helping growers, integrators, and processors. When we could change behavior, so we go back to the farm, we talk to the farmer who's in charge, we get them to change the controller system to make a small alteration and then see the benefit that that yielded. That to me then was quite compelling because I could see I could actually make changes which improved animal health and welfare and ultimately profitability for that particular individual. Alan Bynan is a veterinarian who started, built, and sold a company called Prognostics, which is now PoultrySense. Today you'll hear from Alan as well as Ansara founder and CEO, Arjun Ganesan. What you really need is a deterministic model, right? Where the deterministic model comes into play is you're saying, I kind of have a prior knowledge of what this industry operates, which is the historical data. But what we're really, really interested in is saying deterministically what has changed about this overall system. Two fascinating technologies and how they're impacting the multi-billion dollar poultry market on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. And I want to begin today by thanking our sponsor for this quarter. We're getting ready to finish up this quarter, but thank you to our sponsor, which is Merck Animal Health Ventures. Merck Animal Health Ventures is a premier investor in animal ag tech. They invest in companies creating the next generation of animal identification and monitoring technology to advance animal health, as well as new business models to create value from animal data. Merck Animal Health Ventures partners with early-stage technology companies to successfully scale solutions for their customers, which include livestock producers, veterinarians, and pet owners. For more information, check out the Merck Animal Health Ventures website. And if you're an entrepreneur in an animal health-related industry, you want to make sure you get in touch with these people. Thanks so much to Merck Animal Health Ventures for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, today's episode is a fairly unique one. I originally interviewed both of today's guests with the intention of using the interviews for the spotlight segments that I occasionally run at the end of some of these episodes. So these were both supposed to be spotlights for Merck Animal Health Ventures, our quarterly sponsor, to play at the end of another episode as sort of a highlight of the things that they're doing. You heard that recently from Soma Detect, uh, as well as from Vents. But after going back and listening to each of these interviews, uh, I thought there's some really good stuff in here for, of course, anyone interested in the poultry industry, but really for all of us ag nerds who are trying to get a better sense of where the ag industry is headed. So since they both had a similar theme of innovations in poultry, I decided to just combine them into one episode that you're about to hear. So for the first half of today's interview, you'll hear an interview with Alan Bynan, founder of what is now Poultry Sense. And then in the second half, you're going to hear from Ansara founder and CEO Arjun Ganesan, who I'll go ahead and formally introduce here later in the episode. Starting with Alan Bynan, though, who's a veterinarian in the UK who started Prognostics, which is now Poultry Sense, in 2016. And as Alan will describe, he saw a lot of opportunity at the time to use sensors and data to improve animal welfare and efficiency. 
Merck Animal Health Ventures ended up investing in his company in 2019 and then ended up acquiring them in 2021. We'll talk a little bit about that part of Alan's story as well. But first, I'll drop you into the conversation here where Alan is describing what led to this sort of aha moment that he needed to start a company that would eventually become Poultry Sense. For me, a lot of the issues early on were accessing data from farms to understand what was going on. So a lot of records were kept in farmers' uh, record books on farm or bits of paper on a farm door or computer systems that were set on, on the units themselves. So it was very difficult for us to access that data, but also the data we were getting wasn't particularly useful because it wasn't collecting the parameters I wanted to understand at the bird level. And what were those? So we were looking at things like weight, temperature, carbon dioxide levels, ammonia levels, airflow, lighting, both the amount of light, but also the duration of light feeding behavior, drinking behavior, all those aspects. I wanted to know them in a very granular level at the level of the birds on the floor. So not taking information from sensors that might be two or three feet off the concrete floor. And did those sensors exist that could be right there on the floor level? So we did have sensors and um, we did trial them and there were a few issues. So birds pecking them, the problems with cleaning out dust, water, all those issues that we had destroyed those sensors. But the other piece we found was a lot of those sensors are hardwired, which required an electrician to set up a lot of wiring within the shed at the place where you want to clean the houses out or at least pick the litter up and move it. So that was pretty prohibitive. And it was just at the onset of the development of what was called IoT, which are small, low-cost battery sensors, which you could just switch on and off within the shed and they would give data straight away. So the next challenge for us after that was we switched the sensor on, it sends the data, but we couldn't receive it because the shed itself was acting, a metal shed, like a Faraday cage. So it was very difficult to get the information out of the shed. And that's where we started to look at other communication protocols, which helped us access that data from those sensors. Right. Well, for for you personally, I mean, you were already a successful veterinarian, you know, a great career. What compelled you to want to turn this into a business? I think there were two things, really. I think one, I could see actually what we do as vets is probably short term. You know, that that job will still continue. We'll still be pathologists. But actually, we shouldn't be pathologists. What we should be doing is preventing the problem in the first place. And I'd certainly say a number of the fast food chain restaurants and retailers were the people who were affecting that change. So I could see a threat to my business as a, as a veterinarian. I think the second thing is I've done it for a long time. I get bored quite quickly going out and doing the same thing every day and not really understanding 
how I can change that process was becoming frustrating. And that's where I really wanted to get that real-time data so that I could start to understand what factors are contributing to the causation of those problems and prevent them. And that was just more interesting for me than continuing on with a milk round around a number of sites, doing the same thing in a very repetitive way. And I think vets in general are looking for those challenges and the frustration really is the inability to access the data to make that effective change. Right. What were you seeing that compelled you to say like, okay, we are on the right track here. This is exciting. I mean, what what were you seeing that was evidence that this was an important thing that was working? Yeah. So I think two things really sort of struck home with me. One was a lack of knowledge. So a lot of what we were collecting as data didn't make sense to me. And it was part of my training that I've been told X and Y are the causation of problem Z. What we found quite quickly was that wasn't correct because we'd never measured things. And when we did measure things, we got results we didn't expect. When we could change behavior, so we go back to the farm, we talk to the farmer who's in charge, we get them to change the controller system to make a small alteration and then see the benefit that that yielded. That to me then was quite compelling because I could see I could actually make changes which improved animal health and welfare and ultimately profitability for that particular individual. So that was one of the compelling points. I think the second part of that really was I was still working in practice and I was still becoming more frustrated with the fact I was just administering medicine to sort of put a plaster cast over something without actually solving it. That was becoming more and more of a challenge to me mentally to carry on doing that. Right. And and can you give us an example of that first part where you're like, what you were seeing was not necessarily what you would have expected to see and that it really was making an impact on animal health and animal welfare? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, things that we could identify quite quickly would be baffles in the sheds or ventilation systems, which were, you know, open rather than shut. And by you looking at heat maps, we could go and make that change quite quickly and the birds would spread better and they would have more room to eat and drink and our performance improved. An unexpected one was looking at water intakes. And previously and always, we'd always measured the water into a shed of, say, 20,000 birds. I was working very closely with an engineer who was very fixed on the granularity of the data. And he insisted on putting a water meter on every line. And I said, no, don't do that. It's very expensive. We don't want to do it. It's not relevant. And of course, he did it. And when we came back, we found that over 40% of the water was being consumed from the middle three lines in the shed, which was really interesting because it also tied in with increased feed intakes and increased weights. So we were getting an increased performance in the center of the shed compared to the edges of the shed. And we repeated this in another farm in another part of the country and got very similar results, not quite so dramatic, but very similar. And then, of course, you start the theory as to 
why is it? You know, is it related to temperature or humidity or is it related to feed intakes in those or is it related to water pressure or water temperature? Um, so we started measuring all these various parameters to find out. And in the end, what we discovered is that the birds were placed as day olds in a line in the middle of the shed. So the majority of the birds were staying in the middle of the shed. And when we started to place the birds in a circle around the outskirts of the shed, we had a much more even distribution for the rest of the flock. And this impacted quite closely on the uh, CV, on the variability of weights within a shed. We got much more even weights when we had an even spread in the first week of life. So that was something that was unexpected and something we'd never measured before. But now we're looking a little, little bit at water drinker heights, water pressures, and how that all impacts on performance. And nobody was tracking that type of data at a commercial level before this? No, it's certainly something I hadn't been aware of. And we've, we've got other examples which are similar, which is where using multiple sensors in a house is giving us insights which we didn't expect, which we can now alter our behavior or our patterns of management and get better evenness and better performance, better efficiency on those units. And how is that, you know, for a producer, because it, it sounds like this could really help, you know, the veterinarian, but ultimately it really helps the producer itself. Is there one one aspect of it in particular where the light bulb comes on and they say, oh, yeah, I could really use this? So I think a lot of it is fine tuning and it's bespoke to the various units that we deal with. So every farm is a little bit different. And what poultry sense is useful in understanding is what trends are giving us the best performance. And that's where rather than at a farm level, a veterinarian can look at it from uh, what I call a command and control center. So you might be looking at 50 or 100 uh, sheds or farms, and then you can start to see what benefits are yielded from some of the decision making that comes from the analytics platform that's built into the system. So that's the core of the business is the analysis, but I can only do the analysis if I'm getting really good, strong data coming in. And that's where the IoT hardware issue was so important for me to solve. So I'm getting good data, it's real time, the data's fed into an analytics platform and the veterinarian or the integrator can look at multiple data sets and start to benchmark and understand what decisions to take to improve performance, health and welfare. And yeah, one, one thing that's interesting about the poultry industry, at least in the US, and, and I imagine maybe in, in Europe as well, is is that it is a very integrator-driven industry. So I imagine there's this ability to leverage the data all throughout the supply chain, perhaps easier than, than maybe in other industries such as beef. Are you already starting to see some of that where the data that you're collecting on from the day-old chicks in the barn is actually having some sort of an impact on you know something that happens further down the value stream? Yeah, certainly. And there's two aspects to that really is you have to have data which is reliable and easy to access 
and that's the great advantage of IoT. The second part of that is you have to have an analytic system which starts to give you those insights so you can make those informed decisions. And the third part of it is who are you sharing the data with and what data do you want to share? What data don't you want to share? And there's certain levels within the business where we allow access to various people depending on you know, where people are comfortable with that data to be shared. And that's different for different colleagues. So in some areas, the veterinarian is, you know, particularly engaged with the with the business. In other areas, it's the integrator and sometimes it's the farmer. So there are different levels of, of how we interact. And that that's quite important that we maintain that you know, that security on the data so people feel comfortable with sharing what they're able to share. You mentioned kind of, you know, Merck's seed investment uh, in the company was part of what kind of helped you go full time. Um, and then they ultimately ended up deciding to acquire the company. Can you maybe talk about the the gap in the middle there in terms of the relationship with Merck? Were there other uh, fundraisers in between that or how did that ultimately manifest itself in, in an acquisition? Yes. Yeah, so. For me, the process went through to an A round. I prepared A round funding. I went to a number of VCs. I had a number of offers at the time. And there were a number of challenges. I think um, one of them was getting the right mix of people. So using specific lawyers, specific accountants, specific hardware engineers, back-end integration, I probably didn't need to employ every single aspect of that. I needed a blend of different amounts of those types of people to become successful. I also had a look at competitors, and I can see a number of competitors raised quite big funding rounds, but had been unsuccessful in scaling and getting to the marketplace and they had failed at that A or B round level. Although they had very good ideas, they couldn't get it to the marketplace. My conversations with Merck coincided with their acquisition of Antelic, the all-flex business, and their investment into animal intelligence fascinated me. They have the ability to scale business I had the opportunity to be surrounded by really very good people who could support the business and make it successful without necessarily having to employ a lot of individual people to work within a team. And for me, the rate at which the whole IoT explosion has occurred in not just animal intelligence, but human and environmental monitoring, it just appeared to me to be the obvious route to go where I could get both the support, financial security, and the ability to scale the business in other geographies of the world. And Merck seemed an ideal partner to me at that stage. So in five years, you went from private practice to startup founder to now, you know, employee of one of the largest uh, animal health companies in the world. That's a wild ride. It is. Yeah, correct. And uh, quite a big transition for me. But the business is in incubation within Merck. 
So I'm surrounded by support and decision makers, and I feel I still have a certain amount of autonomy over the business. And I feel very comfortable having gone from running my own veterinary practice to now running this business, but surrounded by whatever support I wish to draw in from the bigger Merck organization. So I feel in a very good place. And obviously, as we geo-expand, Merck has that infrastructure to be able to support the business and make it successful long-term, which is what I wanted to achieve. Well, I think you could probably see why I wanted to share that full interview with you. I mean, it's rare that we get someone on the show who's gone from a boots on the ground veterinarian to a startup founder, to a successful exit, to a corporate employee, all in the span of about six years. So what a great story and an interesting perspective from Alan. I hope you enjoyed that as well. We are going to shift gears here, though, over to another fascinating innovation that is targeting the poultry market as well. Connecticut-based Ansera is a pioneer in microbial-based risk assessment and monitoring solutions. So what exactly does that mean? Uh, Well, they have a proprietary technology that enables near real-time rapid detection and quantification of microbial threats across all points in the food production process, they say, from farm to consumer. Now, if all that's sounding a little bit vague or hard to understand, uh, the way that I sort of process this as I was I was interviewing Arjun, who you're about to hear from, is that, you know, these biological interactions are way more complex than chemical interactions. So for any type of biological intervention that we're going to use, it's important to know more than just did it work or did it not work? We need data and we need to know about the dynamics at play. And that's what Ansara is helping their customers do. If that's not crystal clear yet, founder and CEO Arjun Ganesan is going to share way more details with you, as well as some specific use cases. So I'll drop you to the conversation here where he's describing the technology that makes their business possible. We solve a very fundamental science problem, right? So the best way to think about the science problem is when you're sitting in a dark room and you're looking just dust stream through the window, all of us have tried swatting it, right? It just moves around your hand. And the reason is it's Brownian movement, right? So it's so small where um, dust actually bounces off of the air molecules, right? So if you think about other things that are microbial, they're even smaller to a level that you cannot see them, right? So what this researcher had done was he figured out a way to accelerate finding these. So instead of actually uh, the, the way that you and I would have heard about it, is when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, I think you may have a bacterial infection. I need to culture it. The reason you're culturing it is because you're growing it, because that's the fastest way to find it. We came up with an alternate method to actually move cells around. Okay, So where this really excels is in really, really hard samples. So feces, soil, ground turkey, mechanically deboned uh, you know, uh, parts, any of these things, those are the parts where other systems fall apart where we really excel. So the first few years of the company, we were predominantly looking at much more traditional diagnostic markets. We've been in the poultry space for about six years at this point in time, and we've been partnering up with different companies. And uh, product market fit has been a consequence of iterations between us having ideas and then the producers really working with us and saying, great idea, 
this is how I'd like to use it. So it's been a lot of those iterations. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and maybe could you share a couple of use cases? It sounds like maybe in some cases, I'm picturing like a, a meat processing line that would maybe take a sample, culture it and try to look for something. Now you can do that in real time using your technology. Am I thinking about that along the right lines? Or can you maybe share some use cases that uh, have come out of this? So near real time is always a relative question, right? Because if you think about it, uh, the way that we think about it in terms of actionable timelines. So the question is, can you do something immediately? The answer is biology is still not there where you can do things immediately. So a lot of the sensors, our thesis is if you can turn the information around within a few hours, that's where it becomes most valuable, right? So if you think about a food production plant, at that late stage, you're primarily looking at it in the context of risk, right? So you're looking at it in the context of how do I reduce my risk because it's a very expensive process, right? So the biggest question that you're asking is, is the antimicrobial that I'm applying working? And if it's not working, can I shut it off immediately? Or can I solve the problem within the next four hours? Or can I solve the problem in the next 24? So on and so forth. So if you think about the value segmentation, it's vastly different depending on the, the time frame that you look at. So what we do is we basically mostly focus on a single day, right? So it's not just the diagnostic information. It's saying which of this diagnostic information is typical for this specific treatment, right? So we've already built a large repertoire of several tens of thousands of samples, and we've tied them with millions of sensor data points for several tens of different kinds of treatments, right? So we have a pretty significant edge where we already know what most antimicrobial products should be doing in reducing specific loads. So when it starts going out of control, it's not just saying that you have a microbial problem. It's saying this percentage of the time you are in within the limits and to your first principles point, if the microbes are causing a problem, it could be something that is a shelf life microbe. It could be a microbe that is a pathogenic microbe. It could be a just a general process control microbe. Any of these things. Now you need to very specifically say, this treatment over the last several days, weeks has been drifting. So then you're raising the flag and saying, here are the additional sensor points that have a meaningful correlation where it's drifting. So sometimes you may be able to give a more profound direct answer and saying this antimicrobial is not working the way it should. That's easy. But other times it may be nothing works 100% of the time. So then it becomes if nothing works 100% of the time, then should I change my treatment? Should I keep my treatment? That's not our decision to make. Our problem set is to frame that in simple usable statistics where a QA manager or a plant manager decides I need to change my program or I need to change my operating range, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. This seems so important to me. I mean, as we move in a lot of cases from, from chemistry to biology, biology is totally different, right? In the way that it can interact with its environment and, and how certain factors might impact how effective it is. Uh, it seems like we need something like this, but this is the first time I've kind of heard about a company like yours doing this. So if you think about it as a concept just to get it on record, we call this real-world data and real-world evidence. So on the crop side, people try out, let me use this in a few tens of acres and see if there's a yield change, right? Or if you go into production, live production in animals, people do pen trials. They do a few birds here and there, and they look at, well, I'm looking at a outcome variable of saying, did my feed conversion get better, right? What we're doing is we're looking at 
and again, I, I can talk to you a little bit about the team in a second, but we've got epidemiologists, we've got molecular biologists, physicists, it runs the gamut, right? We've got veterinarians. What we do is we look at millions of anything. And then we're not asking the question about the outcome variable. What we're doing is we're providing the tools and the platform to actually ask the companies, what exactly is your product supposed to do? You're adding a probiotic, but do you actually know when it stops working? Because what can be deeply shocking is when you start using something at a wide scale and one morning something changed, right? The advantage is with us, if it's one of the variables that we're tracking, you will know that it's one of those variables that has changed. It's always the case that we may not be tracking that variable either, but at least you will know which of these other variables are within the range. So that, again, at least helps you eliminate, because I mean, very often, right? People are like, oh, it, uh, it, was, it was a warm summer. Well, I think we left the water running. Those are easy things for us to monitor. But instead of just looking at the outcomes, what we do is we look at a lot of these intermediary variables, which hopefully gives producers and allied companies a strong toolkit uh, and a platform that they can really work on. Yeah, I could totally see it. I mean, I hear all the time, more on the crop side than the livestock side, but it applies in poultry. It applies to to everything, which is just like, yeah, we did this and this is what happened, but it was a weird year. And every year has been a weird year lately. And so it's like, what do we really know if we don't know what's happening at this hard science level? We don't know anything. <laughs> well, no, you, you raised something which is really important, which goes back to our worldview on data, right? So if you think about a lot of companies, pretty much everyone uh, in this industry, they typically work on historical models. So when there's something profound where a year is different, the problem is the historical models almost go out the door. What you really need is a deterministic model, right? Where the deterministic model comes into play is you're saying, I kind of have a prior knowledge of what this industry operates, which is the historical data. But what we're really, really interested in is saying deterministically what has changed about this overall system. And so I think that gives us a new worldview that people can use. And if they have all of that historical data, that will only make the richness of the outcome so much more interesting. So it's not if or this or that way. There's actually a middle ground where you can use both to build towards a new future, where you understand a lot of what is working and what's not working. If you think about it, you, you hear words uh, like artificial intelligence and machine learning all the time. Our worldview is actually the opposite. We take a very probabilistic uh, view on actually talking about everything in terms of a Bayesian approach. Uh, because the part over here is with black box models, even though you see on one side the amount of progress that is happening with GPT-3 or DALI-2 or a lot of this work that's happening at OpenAI, the vast majority of people that still resort to unsupervised learning, they don't have the nuance of saying, what are the systems that are driving it? And what are the specific systems that you know well and which of these systems have a lot of uncertainty, speaking in mathematical terms, right? So what we do is we take a lot of time and effort in working with these companies and teasing those out. So when a model stops working, you actually know which of these uncertainties went way up versus just saying it's a black box and it stopped working. To some level, the industry has gone through a tremendous amount of disservice in the misuse of how people have been thinking about AI and ML. And so to a lot of the time, you almost need to tell people, actually, you don't need to use AI and ML yet to do what you're doing here. What we need to do is understand your business really well and then look at which are the different parameters that are driving the different outcomes. Yeah, such a great point. 
Yeah. And where, where is Ansara today in terms of commercialization? I, I think a lot of people who listen to this are like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. I could see where that would fit into the industry. But uh, at the stage right now, who are the right partners for Ansara and kind of what's coming next for the company? Sure. Uh, so we think about it in sort of three dimensions. The first uh, dimension is the specific species, right? The species that we started off all of our work on is poultry. And so uh, within poultry, the second dimension that I'll talk about is the stage of production. A lot of the production that we have spent a lot of time and energy on is between the broilers and first and second processing, right? So that's a lot of where it is. So it really starts off from the hatchery. And then that's where we've spent a lot of time and energy. And then in terms of the third dimension, which is really the kind of data, we've focused primarily on disease management and microbial management. So the term that we made up is called microbial security. So think about cybersecurity, but this is for microbes, right? That's what we do. If you look at that intersection of live production and processing, and then looking at microbial impact, right? That's the sweet spot that we are very specifically operating in. The two kinds of companies that we've been working with so far, um, we're very early as a company. I mean, early meaning uh, we've got partners in multi-year paid collaborations that are ongoing. Uh, we've completed multiple pilots and we've just started selling. So in, in one of our product lines, two kinds of customers. One is the actual integrators themselves, right? So uh, over here, the second one is the allied companies that are providing products overall, right? So be it pharmaceutical companies, sanitation companies, those are the two major sets that we have been doing a lot of work with. Now, in that second slice, we're evaluating other monogastrics as well, right? So uh, we're looking at uh, at other poultry. So while we were talking broilers, now we're starting to get interested in layers. We're starting to get interested in breeder hens. Uh, we're getting interested in turkeys, right? So a lot of those are similar, but yet different, right? And then we're also on the allied side, a lot of this interest is moving to swine as well. But the model essentially is built to be extensible across all food and ag production, right? That's the whole idea. So at this point, we've built about 6,700 USDA regulated locations in the United States. We've built profiles for all of them. So while only about 200 of those are poultry, we're set up for scale with the right partners around the table. Wow. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, you probably know more about the efficacy of these microbial products than probably the companies themselves do. So you're spot on, right? I think I think that's a really ambitious claim. What we try to do is a lot of it is these companies do not want to do their own microbiology, right? So they go to traditional labs, they're going to traditional methods. So what we're really trying to become is this platform that works with allied companies and saying, instead of you doing all of this QA and this work, we've now built all of these data pipelines. We've got unique sensors of our own. If we can be that one-stop shop for them, get them up and running in a few weeks, right? Now what happens is not only are you giving the companies a tool, which they've not had before in terms of uh, which of these are derivatives, right? So feed conversion, for example, may be a derivative, but your first principle question may be, is there microbial adhesion? Is that microbe actually proliferating? Those are more profound questions that you're answering. What we're doing as a company is we're giving them the opportunity to curate those data sets where we do all the heavy lifting. So they can go about building microbial products, selling microbial products, 
we're giving them a meaningful tool with which they can show their customers and actively engage their customers in having a good conversation. So it's not that that your customer is going to call you three weeks from now, six weeks from now, saying your product stopped working. We actually are changing the conversation into a more data-focused conversation of saying, this is what happened. Well, very cool. Thank you so much to Arjun Ganesan for being on the show. I really do think this type of understanding of these microbial interactions is a massive opportunity for the future of food and agriculture, and one that will be very important, not just for poultry, but for other industries as well. I was thinking of other use cases and examples for this type of understanding uh, that could go a very long way. You can learn more about them at ancera.com. That's A-N-C-E-R-A.com. And don't forget to check out Poultry Sense at poultrysenseltd.com. We'll leave links for both of those, of course, in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Oh,